Guardian Unlimited. and welcome to a celebratory edition of Islamophonic, the Guardian's weekly kirki into Muslim life. Today we look at all things bright and beautiful from my mother country, Pakistan. Yes, while everyone is falling over themselves to slap India on the back for being an economic powerhouse and a colonial legacy that Britain can be proud of, we sneak a peek at what's going on with a black sheep of the family, the Kala Bakri, if you will. There is more to Pakistan than mullahs, madrasas, terror and the Taliban, but you wouldn't know it, would you? Would it surprise you to learn that young urban Pakistanis are more liberated than their Western counterparts? Hi, I'm Atta Yaqub. I'm an actor from Glasgow and my parents came from Pakistan. For me, being Pakistani means living in a community that is hampered by outdated traditions and poverty. When I think of Pakistan, I think of rickshaws, camels and people balancing things on their head. Recently, some of my friends have started moving to Pakistan. They tell me it's a place where arts and culture are flourishing. A place where cool young people have big dreams and big passions. It certainly surprised Urshad Ashraf, who directed the documentary Karachi Uncovered, shown on BBC Two on Monday night. Karachi Uncovered is a film um, about the entertainment industry in Pakistan, commissioned by the BBC, and we found that there's a, a huge um, television explosion. Five years ago, there were um, two state-owned TV channels, and now Musharraf kind of liberalised the media and it's exploded into like 50 TV channels now all um, broadcasting fashion, fitness, media, lifestyles. And what did you find? Um, completely surprising that there is um, a whole new creative class and it's really booming out there. You can literally walk in off the street and get a job in TV which if you've got talent you can really make it out there. Pakistan's the place to be. And so what about the um, socialising that goes on? Yeah, there's a whole social scene in Pakistan which would probably surprise a lot of people. If you're Pakistani, one of the cliches of uh, Pakistani parents is that, oh, the West has ruined our kids. But um, what I saw in Pakistan was people far more into kind of partying than um, things I've seen over here. Parties I went to out there, open boozing, you know, spliffing, coking, everything, you name it. It was all going on. And the impression I got was that, you know, this is sort of accepted and normal. You said you were quite surprised by that. I'm getting the feeling that you don't go back there very often. That was my first time back uh, to Pakistan for about 16 years. I'd heard that Pakistan was really advanced, but um, I wasn't really prepared for what I saw. What other crazy kind of behaviour did you see? Well, the day we got there, we got in the cab and the cab driver was like, there's going to be riots tomorrow. And we were like, oh. So that was a bit of a shock, really. Uh, I turned on the TV news and um, saw people getting dragged out of cars and shot. So that wasn't really a good start. But once that all calmed down, Really, I expected people to be kind of aping Western culture, but that wasn't what we found. People are doing kind of really cool stuff, creative stuff, but doing it in their way with their twist. So what kind of cool people did you find? We found supermodels. I did a lot of filming with supermodels. Um, <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? <laughs> Surely she was more than enough to strip for success. Did you go do a bikini? No way. Okay. I'm a Pakistani girl. I have to be like that, no? Okay. That's it. Sleeveless? Yeah, I can wear sleeveless because yeah. it's a fashion in industry and we have yeah. to, you know, present the clothes, we have to present the makeup yeah. and, you know, yeah. so we have to um, show a little bit, okay. not too much. I One part of the film is really looking at supermodels and how the modelling industry has boomed in Pakistan and they, again, they just kind of popped all the cliches because the models that we found out there were all, you know, really intelligent, um, had a lot to say for themselves, articulate. 
and the fact that we were models was just kind of um, icing on the cake really. It sounds like you're very happy about that, what else? Um, the TV industry out there is really, it's almost like in the B of the bang. I met directors that were 19 years old, guys running complete TV channels that were in their mid-twenties. The opportunities are endless. If you've got ideas and you're creative and you're ambitious, um, in the Pakistan media industry at the moment, you can get somewhere really, really quickly. Now, of course, what you've just said goes completely against what we read about in the newspapers. Well, if you believe, you know, everything that Fox News says or even the BBC says about Pakistan, then... It's not surprising that people don't go there. Of course, there's another side to Pakistan apart from just headbangers and flag burners. Now, I watched Karachi Uncovered, and I have to say I was a bit jealous that women were able to go sleeveless there. I mean, if I tried that in Southampton, I'd get chased out of town by people wielding torches and pitchforks. Or does that only happen in Springfield? In Pakistan, the film industry is changing too. The days of sari-draped women fleeing sideways from mustachioed duquettes in parks are giving way to entirely different subject matters. Omar Ali Khan, a geek by any other name, is enjoying success with Zibakana, or Hell's Ground. It's the first modern horror film to be shot in Pakistan. Breaking all the rules of local Lollywood productions, it tells the story of five teens who get lost on their way to a rock concert. I started out by asking him, What's a nice guy like you doing making a horror film? I've had a passion for horror movies. Toast. Look, five hours and we'll be listening to the hardest band in Pakistan. My favourite genres were the ones that I was paying homage to with this film, which include uh, Psycho, um, you've got the EC comic books, which I think were a huge influence on me, Hammer Horror Films from Britain, but most of all, the slasher films, which I think started off with uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. And uh, my film is like the ultimate fan love letter uh, to the great directors. Zibakhana, Pakistan ki pehli extreme horror film. Now, it's got characters in that you wouldn't normally find in a Pakistani film. I believe it's got a burqa-wearing cannibal and it's got zombies in as well. Is that right? <laughs> yes, absolutely right, yes. It's unusual for a Pakistani film, but I think um, there are other characters also that are unusual because we've depicted them very, um, I think, realistically. The young people in the film uh, who go out and uh, get into trouble as they get further out of the cities, they are depicted as uh, very ordinary, normal teenagers uh, doing the things that teenagers do, speaking the language that teenagers do, and even that in our films traditionally has been avoided. Am I right in thinking that there are no songs or dances, so there aren't any huge epic numbers involving women dancing in waterfalls or running through cornfields? <laughs> yes, there's nothing like that at all. Uh, our little horror film, we couldn't afford this kind <laughs> of thing at all. What's the reaction been like in Pakistan? Oh, I've been thrilled by the reaction in Pakistan. We had a couple of uh, premieres abroad in Europe and uh, in North America, which went down very well. And then I brought the film back to uh, Pakistan, which was the real acid test because it's aimed at a Pakistani youth. When the film was screened, it was, they were screaming and shouting and clapping and cheering and a lot of laughter. And, you know, it was like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And uh, what made it even more exciting was that cinemas are kind of um, decrepit and falling apart here in Pakistan. And we've lost the whole idea of going out to the movies on a weekend. And to see these kids having a blast, 
you know, people absolutely do want to go out and watch movies here in Pakistan. So your film is a real breath of fresh air. Of course, there's another film that's creating huge amounts of interest, not just in Pakistan, but overseas as well. Not by design, but out of accident somehow, 2007 is turning out to be rather an exciting year for Pakistani cinema. With the arrival of this film, Khuda Ke Liye, directed by Shweb Mansoor, a local filmmaker, who has put together a film that is, in terms of production values, the acting, the writing, the whole presentation of the film is several cuts about the kind of film that we are used to here in Pakistan. And uh, crowds are thronging to watch this movie all over the country. And, um, and we're all kind of buzzing with excitement that suddenly, lo and behold, Pakistan cinema may have suddenly found a little uh, niche and, and might be sort of crawling out of the doldrums after all. <laughs> Omar Ali Khan, director of Pakistan's first modern slasher movie. There's a trail for it on YouTube if you want to check it out. And if you're in London, the ICA is showing it on August 18th and the 31st. From one great Pakistani industry, we move to another. Cricket! The Pakistani cricket team have had a terrible time in the last 12 months, a poor performance at the World Cup, clouds of suspicion hovering over them following Bob Woolmer's death, allegations of ball tampering and match-fixing, drug-taking, resignations and strops. The 2020 tournament is next month in South Africa. On the line is Guardian cricket guru Lawrence Booth. Lawrence? Hello. Can the Pakistanis bounce back? I think they can bounce back. And the, Pakistan's never been short of talented cricketers. Anyone who's followed them will know what, what they're capable of. The question is, which side of the bed do they get out on? And if they get out on the right side, they're, they're more than capable of, of doing very well in the 2020 World Cup. How significant is the tournament for them? It's their first major international outing since the World Cup. Yeah, it, it's pretty important that they, they put that World Cup behind them. Of course, disastrous defeat to Ireland and, and the very sad death of, of Bob Wilmer and Everything that, that could have gone wrong did go wrong, really, and this is um, this is their chance to to show that they're they're moving forward under a new coach, Jeff Lawson, a new captain, Sherb Malik, and I mean, there's a lot of talent in the squad. That, that's never been in question. It, it's simply been whether they can get these group of disparate individuals to gel, really. Who are their key players? They've got a very strong bowler attack. Um, you know, you'd never write off guys like Mohammed Asif or Sherb Akhtar, or even even Umar Gul. That's a potentially devastating bowling attack in the right conditions. Strangely, they left out Mohamed Yusuf, who's been uh, one of the best batsmen in, in world cricket over the last couple of years. There are suggestions that they want some fresh faces or someone who can, can hang around a bit, uh, but nothing terribly convincing. So I, I'm slightly concerned that in the batting, there'll be over-reliance on, on a couple of guys. Shahid Afridi is, is one name that always crops up in these circumstances. It's, it's 20 over game. And he loves to, loves to hit the ball a long way. So if he gets going, then, then really Pakistan would, in theory, be able to chase down any kind of total. Now, you previously said that if they get out on the right side of bed, they're amazing, and if they get out on the wrong side of bed, they're absolutely atrocious. I like to call it chaotic genius. <laughs> yes, that's, that's one way of looking at it. <laughs> I think a lot of Pakistan fans would, would argue the same thing. Will, they, will the team that beat England come out, or will the team that got hammered by South Africa come out? As ever, these questions are up in the air with Pakistan cricket. Um, now, the tournament coincides with Ramadan. Do you think that's going to affect their game? 
Well, do you think it's do. a conspiracy to make us lose? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I think. I mean, Bob Woolmer used to say that, uh, that there were occasionally issues when he he wanted to talk tactics with the team and they were praying or, or <laughs> fasting or whatever, and you know he, he couldn't get near to Inzamam at, at the lunch break. I, I, it shouldn't be. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I hope they're not going to start thinking of that as a, as a reason for why things aren't going to go well. Now, gambling is of course forbidden in Islam, but if I were a betting man, where should I put my money? Uh, Don't say back in my purse. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that. He's taken my line there. No, um, it's very hard to look past Australia, really. They just have the most big hitters in, in world cricket. They've got Matthew Hayden and uh, Adam Gilchrist up the top of the order, Ricky Ponting, uh, Andrew Simons coming in lower down, Mike Hussey even. So it's going to be very tough for a, for a, for a team to, to get past them. But... As I say, Pakistan, you just can't write them off. It just needs Shahid Afridi to go berserk for, for a couple of <laughs> innings and, and suddenly the other teams are going to be chasing the match. So Australia first, Pakistan either second or last. <laughs> there are no half measures. Um, there are no half measures in Pakistan. Is it wrong for me to fancy Shoaib Akhtar? Uh, well, being a heterosexual <laughs> male, I couldn't possibly comment, but a lot of my female friends have um, would, would back up your comment, I think. So... Um, there was a good m- remark by Freddie Flintoff when uh, the, the World Eleven toured Australia last year, and, and Shoaib had obviously done a lot of work on his his physique, and uh, they didn't bowl particularly well. And Andrew Flintoff said, "You know, it's no good looking like Tarzan if you bowl like Jane." So oh. it, that, that was quite harsh, but possibly true. <laughs> now, that puts you off him. <laughs> Lawrence, thank you very much for your time. No problem at all. Bye. Bye. That was the Guardian's Lawrence Booth with his prognosis for the Pakistani cricket team. Utter brilliance or total shambles, depending on which way the chapati falls. But what does the future hold for the country? I asked Neil Spencer, the Observer's horoscope writer, to read the planets for Pakistan. Nation states have horoscopes, just like individuals. Pakistan came into existence at one minute past midnight on August 15th, 1947, when partition with India took place. The two countries are therefore time twins, with almost identical horoscopes. But while the time of the two countries' birth is the same, the view of the sky from Karachi, as Islamabad was known, and Delhi was slightly different. In Karachi, the constellation of Taurus was rising over the eastern horizon, while in Delhi, it was Gemini. The difference in this all-important ascendant is reflected in the die-hard tourist tradition of Pakistan, compared to the more pluralist Gemini India. Both countries, however, came into existence with the sun in the sign of Leo. This is a proud and obstinate sign that demands respect and admiration and gets shirty when it's not forthcoming. Sound familiar? Well, on the positive side, Leo can be joyous and generous. Not just the Sun is in Leo, so are four other planets, including Saturn and Pluto side by side. This is a pair of planets identified with power struggles, with terror and death. That symbolism was horribly enacted at the birth of Pakistan and India, accompanied by communal terror and, shortly afterwards, by the first of several military conflicts. As Pluto is also associated with nuclear power and weaponry, it's no surprise that both countries have nuclear arsenals. Both countries have the moon in Cancer, sign of the mother, and surprisingly for patriarchal societies, both have had strong female leaders. Talking of leaders, both General Musharraf and Benazir Bhutto have horoscopes that mesh well with Pakistan's birth chart. Musharraf, 
born on August the 11th, 1942, has a Leo sun and a Cancer moon, just like his country. Buto, born on June 21st, 1953, is a Gemini, but several other planets tie her to the nation, notably Venus, making her not so much the mother of her country, but its bride. Critical time now approaches for both Pakistan and its leader during September and October. Escalating violence from fundamentalists is the least to expect. With Pluto involved, so are coups, terrorism and nuclear threats. The election scheduled for October 11th looked likely to be postponed or to be surrounded by controversy and recounts. Mercury, the planet of organization, turns backwards the following day, the 12th. The same planetary signature was in operation during George Bush's controversial victory in 2000. Even if Pakistan gets through this autumn unscathed, 2008 promises ongoing uncertainty about who's in control. Pluto then finishes its 13-year journey through Sagittarius, the sign of religious faith, suggesting we can expect more extremism. Then, after Pluto moves on in 2009, economics rather than religion becomes the source of international argument, not just for Southern Asia, but for the globe. Terror update was brought to you by horoscope writer Neil Spencer. According to his reading, we can expect a coup d'etat, a nuclear war, failed elections and more suicide bombings. No change there, then. Someone who can tell us what's happening right now is the ever-faithful Declan Walsh, our man in the stand. Declan, in the spirit of peace, love and understanding, what do you like about the place? Well, there's a lot to like about Pakistan, of course. Um, we don't hear about it all in the headlines because there tends to be so much gloom recently and uh, things about nuclear bombs and political crisis and so on. Um, but w what you don't hear about very much is just about ordinary Pakistanis themselves who are incredibly hospitable and warm people. You know, I think that's really just one of the great secrets of the country that uh, often doesn't come across, unfortunately, in the reporting we do. The other thing, of course, is that Pakistan is an incredibly varied country. Everything from the mountains in Kashmir and down to the desert, you have a lot of cultural activity in cities, and all of those things can be tremendously interesting and exciting. Now, you're not Pakistani. How have they responded to you? You're this kind of great big Irishman, aren't you? Yes, I'm Irish, and uh, people generally respond quite positively. Um, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of confusion about whether Ireland is still part of Great Britain or not, so I don't need to be hesitant much to put them right on that. But in fairness, generally Pakistanis have, I think, a very positive view of British people in general. They feel that British rule for right or for wrong was a, a good time in their country. I think particularly in contrast with the sort of chaotic scenes we have now. So there's something of a, a road-centered nostalgia about that. And it's a lot of particularly more wealthy Pakistanis who have been educated in Britain or they have family who are studying or working there. And then, of course, there's just the absolutely giant number of Pakistani Britons, estimated to number about 800,000, and they're constantly shuffling back and forward between the two countries. Declan, of course, it is the 60th anniversary of independence for Pakistan. How are they celebrating it over there? Slightly more muted celebrations than uh, people would have hoped for, I think, probably because of the various problems at the moment. There's a very serious security situation with been a lot of suicide bombs. So there's been very heightened security, I think, across the country in anticipation of 
anybody trying to repeat those sort of attacks in the coming couple of days. But having said that, I mean, there's large amounts of national paraphernalia on sale. There are cultural events that are taking place. Uh, they're celebrating it, and they're also to some degree questioning it because, of course, you know, over Pakistan's history, there has been something of a revolving door between military and civilian rule. I think that's something that most people in the country are quite unhappy about. It's something that's very much in the news at the moment, um, and it's, I think, going to be particularly on their minds. But, you know, when they're not thinking about serious political stuff, um, I think people will be taking this couple of days as a time to relax, spend time with their families, and celebrate all the good things that Pakistan has to offer. Declan, enjoy the festivities, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye, Riyazad. That was our Pakistan special. Next week we have a potpourri of items which may or may not include Darfur, the armed forces, a terror update, the environment and graffiti. You've been listening to Islamophonic. It was produced by Matt Haywood and it was presented by me, Riyazat Butt. Until next week, Jazakallah for listening and Wa Alaikum Assalam.